Well, we're in First John chapter 1, and I do believe that the Lord would have us look into this first epistle of John in uh, some detail, so we're going to be here for quite a while. We may obviously dip in and out of it. We may have other things that the Lord puts on my heart to share, but I think it's good for us to get into First John. It's a wonderful book, and I would counsel you to read it avidly and you know it's a short enough book you can read it once a day but um, you could even read a chapter a day it's only five chapters and it's a glorious little book and um, John of course uh, the apostle John was uh, the known as or is known as the apostle of love he is believed to be the apostle who was closest to Jesus and there are famous stories about John. They tried to boil him in oil and nothing, no harm came to him. And there is a tradition, I'm not saying I believe it, but, well, I, I like it. Well, let's put it that way. But there is a tradition that John, the apostle, believe this or not, never died. And that he still walks the earth today. And you'd be surprised at how many people believe that. You'd be surprised at how many groups of Christians believe that. And I'm not going to tell you what I think. But there is, because here's the reason why. Because he understood the love of God and the love of Jesus so much that he became indestructible. And of course, John has written quite a number of books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, and it differs quite a bit from the other three Gospels. The three letters of John, and of course, there is the book of Revelation, which many... Uh, find uh, very uh, difficult and, and to understand um, because it's so full of symbolic language but it still promises a blessing to those who will read the book so read the book of Revelation and you'll be blessed and you know your mind might not understand it all but your spirit man will and eventually the light will dawn on your mind okay so we're in the first letter of John and uh, he says that which was from the beginning and you know, the Bible begins with the words, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, didn't he? And you know, the thing about it is, is that everything begins with God. Logically, doesn't it? Because we were created by him, the whole universe was created by him. And in fact, the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word being Jesus. Uh, so before Jesus was uh, incarnated or born into the earth, he was the eternal word. And of course there is the doctrine of the eternal son. He is the second person of the Godhead. And that's what John is referring to here. That which was from the beginning, which is the word of God, the Lord Jesus. He says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Of course John was an apostle of the Lamb, he was an eyewitness and a partaker of the ministry of Jesus along with the other 11. And just while we're saying that, I just want to share this, just think about this. This is a, quite an amazing thing. I shared this through the week somewhere and it's this. We are not defined by who people are to us. We are not defined by who people are to us. In other words, when people let you down, People betray you, people hurt you, people wound you, people turn on you and vilify you. 
We're not defined by that. We're defined by who we are to them. Amen? Who God has called us to be. And you think about it, we're speaking about John here, the apostle, and he was one of the twelve. And guess who else was one of the twelve? Judas Iscariot. And Judas, of course, was commissioned, just the same as John was, to be an apostle. Given the same power of God to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, and so on. Jesus gave that, conferred that right upon him, just the same as the rest. And also, he made him the treasurer, which is a position of responsibility. See, Jesus was not defined by who Judas was to him. Jesus was defined by who the Father called him to be. And people will betray you. People will turn their backs on you. People will sell you out for 30 pieces of silver or nothing sometimes. But you know, Judas ate at Jesus' table right up to the very last meal that Jesus had. Amen. Jesus did not differentiate. We know that he pointed him out because they asked, who's going to betray you? And he said, well, the guy that's dipping at the same time as me. And of course, that was Judas. But right up to the very end, I believe Jesus gave Judas the chance to, to, to bow out of what he was going to do, knowing, of course, that he wouldn't. But we're not defined by what people are to us. We are defined by who we are to them. Jesus was loyal and faithful to all the disciples, even Judas. Amen? Just a wee side thought. But he's talking here about the man he knew. That's what John's talking about. He says, we... We lived with this man. We lived with him. We, we heard him speak. We, heard, we saw him minister. We have seen him with our eyes, which we've looked upon. You know, you and I, unless we've had a vision of Jesus, we just know him by the word, don't we? And, and sometimes if you've got this picture, you mind the, lady, the, the ladybird image of Jesus, ladybird books, remember the wee ladybird books? I think we'll get some up in the Sunday school. I loved Ladybird books. But you know, they had this kind of really very childish image of who Jesus was, didn't they? But sometimes our image of Jesus is founded upon by things like that. Or founded upon things like that. But John knew what Jesus looked like. He lived with him. Travelled with him. Ministered with him. Lay on his breast. As the apostle of love, he, his objective was to be the closest, I believe. I believe that that was his ambition, was to be closer to Jesus than all the rest. And he fulfilled it. He is the apostle of love. He says, we've looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. You can imagine that, you know, uh, John and the other apostles, you know, maybe helped Jesus down off a boat or, you know, uh, protected him in a crowd or whatever. They knew Jesus in the flesh. They knew the man. They lived with him. They ministered with him. They walked with him. They slept by the same campfires or in the same house or whatever. And he says, for the life was manifested. What life? The life that was in the beginning. The life that created all of us. Everything was created by this man. Before he became flesh, before he became a baby in the manger, he was at the right hand of God. He was 
the second person of the Godhead, and he was the one that created all things. And he says that life was manifested. It wasn't invisible when Jesus walked the earth. You know, Jesus right now is invisible to our naked eye, isn't he? And some people have that wonderful privilege that the Lord appears to them. And we read about that in the Bible. We hear about it in history that men and women that Jesus has appeared to. Or they've seen him in vision form. But to these men, these 12 apostles and the others, all of Jesus' staff, and at one stage he sent out 70 as well. So they were quite a big staff. And of course there were those that saw him after the resurrection. But it says that life was manifested. It was no longer invisible. It wasn't oh, just the invisible God. The second person of the Godhead, Jesus, who is God himself, as, as one of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Word, the Son, was manifested. He became flesh, the Bible tells us. And we have seen it and bear witness and show to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. They knew the Lord Jesus in his human body. That which we have seen, verse 3 says, and heard declare we to you. That's our job. You know, you sometimes hear me say this or preach or pray this, that we, are, we have a witness, we have a testimony. Everybody has a testimony. Every Christian has a testimony. And that testimony is the verbal or written declaration of how meeting the risen Christ has changed our lives. Amen? You can, some of us can say, on such and such a day or such and such a day, I gave my heart to Jesus. Most Christians can do that. Some can't remember the actual day or some will say, I don't remember the actual time, but I know it happened. Because we all have a witness and all the testimony. And he says here, and we have a testimony as individuals and we have a testimony as a church. You know, we, our church here sits at the foot of that hill and has done for many years. And many hundreds, thousands have passed through these doors testifying to the saving power of the Lord Jesus. Testifying that their lives are turned around. And of course, in all the churches throughout the nation, throughout the world, people have testimony. And churches have testimonies, ministries have testimonies. And these men had a testimony. And it says, that which we have seen and heard declare we to you. Now they saw something, didn't they? Because they saw Jesus uh, in his earthly life. Walking by the shores of Galilee. Seeing the miracles that he performed. Hearing the wonderful words. And then they saw him, or John saw him, hanging on that cruel tree. The rest had fled, but this man stayed. And Jesus said to him, my mother's your mother. Why? Because he was, he was close to him. You know, you can get just as close to Jesus as John did, just by fellowshipping God by the Holy Spirit and reading his word. That's the glorious truth of it. You don't have to say, well, because I never walked with him those three and a half years, I'll never know him like John. You can know him like John and the other apostles. Amen. And that's what Paul says, wasn't it? 
We don't know anybody after the flesh anymore. So in other words, just because, and it's a wonderful testimony, and he says, we're telling you what, what we experienced, but you can know him just as intimately by fellowshiping him in prayer and by the word of God. So you don't have to say, oh, and you know, a lot of Christians do this, I wish I knew the Lord like so-and-so does, or I wish I, wish I was as intimate with the Lord as this preacher or that person or whatever. Every one of us can have that close walk with God. But he says, that which we've seen and heard, declare we to you. And here's the, here's the reason. Here's proof of what I just said. He says, that you also may have fellowship with us. You know, we don't really understand the word fellowship as it is meant in the Greek or in the New Testament. Fellowship is not how we understand it, which is, let's have a cup of tea together, let's have a rolling sausage together, you know, let's, or let's go on a bus trip to St Andrews, or all these things, and we'll have some fellowship. Okay, that's nice, but it's really the outward forms of fellowship. Fellowship in the New Testament goes much, much deeper because it means to have a share in and partake of the same. And that's why, you know, when, we, when Christians break bread, and I'm not just talking about communion, but communion, of course, is vital, and it's part of this. And the early Christian meals that they had in the early church, they, they would have meals with communion, as we would call it, at the very heart of it. That would be the, the centerpiece of the meal. But they would be sitting, you know, just enjoying food, grapes and stuff, lamb, all that type of thing. Just like we do after a meeting every Lord's Day morning, we break bread together. But, but when we understand breaking bread together means symbolically in the New Testament that we partake in fellowship with him and with each other at a much deeper level than just food. Amen? So it's a wonderful truth. He says, we have seen some stuff. We've seen things. We've experienced. We handled him. We touched him. He touched us. We've, we've listened to him. We heard stuff that the crowds didn't hear. We saw him when he was tired. We heard him praying, but nobody else heard him. We live with this man, the incarnate God in flesh person of Jesus. He says, we, seen, we saw it, we heard it, and we're declaring what we saw and heard to you so that we are not the only ones that has this experience of him, but that you may have fellowship with us. And that's why preaching is so important. Because when you preach, you're not just saying words. Or when you hear preaching, you have, are having the word of life imparted to you. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, the spirit and the life, they're not just words. It's not a Boris Johnson speech, thank God. Or that person along the road. I mean, that's just words. It's, and hot air. And other things that we don't mention from a pulpit. But when Jesus speaks, and when a, a man speaks or a woman speaks under the anointing, that's spirit and life. And it imparts. So he says, we're telling you these things so that you can be a partaker. That's what fellowship means, to partake of. 
You know, if there's a bowl of soup, we had, we had uh, soup yesterday uh, here uh, for the Rye Scotland. And we all partake, partook of it, didn't we? It was the same bowl, the same soup. None of us had soup that wasn't in the bowl. It was the same mixture of soup. And that's what he's talking about. The Christ we experienced, he says, we're telling you. And then he writes it down in this letter so that anybody who ever reads this letter can partake of that. That's why I said to you, you know, you can have the same relationship with Jesus as he did because you read his letter. And John was the one that recorded when Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. And David didn't partake of the soup yesterday because he was in the <laughs> So he wasn't a partaker. He had no fellowship yesterday, am I right? And people couldn't believe that when I told them. But, you know, he's a stubborn wee boy. I wonder who he takes that from. Praise God. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you that you also may have fellowship with us, that you can partake. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says God manifested his word through preaching. God manifests himself. And all the glories, all that these men experienced doesn't mean because you and I weren't there in Capernaum, in Galilee, in Jerusalem, uh, in Caesarea Philippi. Just because we weren't there, we can read about it. And the one who was there is the, is the word who wrote this book. And it's not just oh, he wrote a book. He is the word. So when, he's, when he says in his word the things that he says, we can partake of that. And we can be there just the same as the other apostles were in a figure. Amen. Well, glory is truth. And these things write me to you that your joy may be full. So what he's saying is, we experienced something you guys didn't. But here's the good news. You can still partake. It can be as real to you as it was to us. And you know, as well as I do, that sometimes if you're a witness to something or you're present when something happens, you're not always taking everything in. That's why the gospel accounts differ. Because you might see something that I don't see and I might see something that you don't see. And you might miss a whole bunch of stuff and you may not even understand what's going on, but some, someone comes along later who wasn't even there and because they've researched it, studied it and so on, and things have been told to them by other eyewitnesses, they actually have a better understanding. And let me just say this to you. A lot of the eyewitnesses to these things were the ones that said, crucify him. So just, oh, well, we weren't there, we can't experience it. Well, some of the people that were there were rotters. And some of the people that were there were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then a few days later, crucify him. So it's not always about who was there and who wasn't. But one thing's for sure, that we can partake of this which was from the beginning. This wonderful person, the Word of God, in flesh, in human form, and still in human form. No longer flesh and blood, but flesh and bone. He's still 
the Shaman and the Godhead. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You know, the devil wants us to hate man. He wants us to hate mankind. He wants us to hate humanity. He wants to twist and distort humanity because he hates God, because he hates man because man is made in the image of God. But there's no disgrace or shame or reduction of Jesus' glory and Godhead by becoming the Son of Man. So there's a man in the Godhead tonight and there will be for eternity. Isn't that glorious? Praise the Lord. And it says here, we're writing these things to you that your joy may be full. But when you hear these things, when you read this letter, when you hear wonderful preachers preaching it, then your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We've just sung it. We sang it in that wonderful hymn, didn't we? It's no secret what God can do. There is no night. For in his light. Amen. We're living in his light. And when you're living in his light, there is no night. Now, that's not to say that sometimes it looks bad and it looks dark and it looks gloomy. But if you're living in his light, there is no night. Because God is light. And there is no shadow of turning. There's no darkness. There's nothing dubious or dodgy or weak or defective. He is light and in him is no darkness at all. <coughs> then it says, though, and here's the warning. If we say that we fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, we recognize that he is light and we recognize that as believers, we're supposed to live in the light. But if we are playing games and pretending to be believers or Christians, but we're living a double life, we're allowing darkness in, we're walking in darkness, then we're not really fellowshipping with him because to fellowship with him is to come fully into the light. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world about himself. But then he said, you're the light of the world. So what is he saying? You're meant to be like me. Amen? So we need to walk in the light. Then it says, well, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And we don't practice the truth. But then it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and that means when you mess up, you don't hide from God, you run to him. Amen? You don't say, oh, well, that's me, I'm ruined, I'm, I'm finished, I've messed up. You know, if they knew what I was up to in that church, or, oh, that's me, I've failed the Lord. No, when you fail him, and if you fail him, then get back into the light. Run to him when you mess up and sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. See, the partaking, the fellowship is in the light. It's, it's not in the darkness. We have fellowship one with another. And here's the glorious truth. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We sing that song. There is a fountain filled with blood. It's not a bath. Because when you have a bath, 
and you get out, you can very quickly can get dirty again. Amen? You know, a fountain is constantly flowing. And you know, there's a truth to this that you can actually live in the fountain. I'm living, yes, I'm living in the fountain. You know that old hymn? That the, the, the blood is constantly flowing. The living fountain of God's blood is constantly flowing. So live in the fountain. Then you won't need to have a bath. Amen. You know, how many have showers in their house? I know some folks prefer a bath and all that. You know, and the baths can be relaxing. But most of the time, we have a shower, don't we? Because it's, and you all, I think you always feel cleaner after a shower. He says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin because it's the fountain. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And we live in the fountain. There's a fountain flowing from the Saviour's side. Plunge right in its cleansing tide. Oh, glory. When we start to talk of the blood of the Lamb, we start to get excited. And we fellowship there in the light when it's the blood. It's the blood that brings us into the light, isn't it? You know, darkness is the world of sin and hiding from God and not coming into the light to be cleansed. Don't live that life, brothers and sisters. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, you meet folks like that. Oh, well, I'm not a sinner. How dare you call me a sinner? You know, I do good deeds. I, I give to Oxfam uh, every month. Uh, I help old ladies across the road. You know, I do good deeds. But, but, but I'm not a sinner. That's what he's talking about here. But you know, you can also have this as a Christian that if you've been forgiven of your sin, you don't really sometimes want to acknowledge if maybe there's, there are deeper things God puts his finger on. When God starts to show you that you've got a grudge against someone or you've not forgiven someone. Oh, no, 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 no not me. Well, that's what he's talking about here. If we say that we're completely blameless, he says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found when the truth is not in me. I want the truth in me. And to do that, we have to not be deceived. And we don't pretend that we are what we're not. That we're living sinlessly perfect lives and so on. And just because someone's a, a preacher or a minister, that me doesn't mean that they don't mess up. And I was told, uh, we, we went during the week there for a, uh, some prayer time. We took a group up to Mount Sahalian and we had a good time up there praying. And I was told by this one here, because we originally planned, we took our own cars, so we originally planned to take a minibus. And I was told by this one here, it's a good job we didn't take the minibus, because then people would have seen your road rage. <laughs> Now, I could have said, what, me, road rage? How dare you, how dare thou say this to But you say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So, I'm working on my road rage. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. And there's others I know that have road rage, and I won't name names. And it says, if we confess our sins, this is the good news, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news, isn't it? We can still come to him, even although, well, we're saved, but we messed up, we can still come and be cleansed and plunge ourselves in the fountain. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not. And as well, there's stuff I wanted to say, uh, but we're going to have to get to that. Um, there's so much in this letter, but that's chapter one. And I think we'll continue with chapter two next week, unless the Lord takes us back. But uh, it's a great letter. Please read it and you'll see some wonderful truths. And um, we'll come back to it. Praise the Lord.